Well, good morning. Happy Father's Day to the dads out there uh, and those joining us online. Our video team wanted me to let you know that uh, objects and persons appear to be brighter on camera than they are in real life. So just take that into account. But we're glad you're joining us online today. Uh, I thought it would be good if we started with a couple of dad jokes because after all, it is Father's Day. And so I've got a couple of bad dad jokes. The first one is, what is the pirate's favorite letter? R. Now you gotta put R into it to get, okay, how about a pirate's favorite exercise? Aerobics. <laughs> it's a rip off of the first one. Uh, what I do wanna do before we get started today is, I just wanna take a moment and just have a word of prayer and pray for the dads that are here today and those join us online. Uh, just pray for us, uh, pray for them and pray for our help that we need it. Let's uh, pray right now. Father, thank you that we can call you Father and that you're the ultimate Father, you're the best Father. You never let us down, you never leave us, you always are there for us. I pray for all the dads and all the fathers that are gathered here in this place and those joining us online that you would help us, Father, to be the best fathers and the best dads that we could be. Thank you that uh, you've given us an incredible responsibility, and uh, we just thank you for just the opportunity to serve and to glorify you as we serve as dads and as fathers and as grandfathers. We ask, Father, that uh, you would be with those dads that are struggling today. Maybe there's some dads uh, joining us or listening that uh, right now that feel like they've failed, they've let their, their family down. We just pray, Father, that they would uh, find the forgiveness that only you can forgive, to give and that they would get back in the game and uh, learn and grow. We pray for the dads that have suffered uh, a loss. Maybe they've lost their father and uh, they're struggling with that. We just pray that you'd bring comfort to them. But Father, we just help us to be better dads and better fathers as we grow and we learn. And uh, thank you for just the important position that you've given to the fathers and the dads. May they step up to the challenge and be the dads you've called them to be. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna read a quote and it's kind of a heady quote, and there's a part of the quote that you're immediately going to, you're going to recognize, and then I'll talk a little bit about it. But it was a, a quote by Sir John Action. He was an 8th century British historian. And I just want to say right off the bat, if your last name is Action, that's a cool name. I mean, you know, Action, you know, I mean, it's like, it's just a great name. But he wasn't like a, an athlete or anything. He was an 8th century British historian, but he has an interesting quote, and like I said, you'll be, the part of this you'll, will be familiar, and then I'll explain kind of what he's, the context. He says this, historic responsibility has to be, has to make up for the want of legal responsibility. Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men even when they exercise influence and not authority. Still, more when you super add the tendency of certain, uh, of, uh, and this, uh, or the certainty 
of corruption by authority. There is no worse heresy than that the office sanctifies the holder of it. And essentially what action was expressing was, he was essentially saying that when a person holds a political or religious office, and remember the church was very strong in in that time, when a person holds that type of power, it has a real tendency to corrupt them. And uh, historians tend to look at, kind of overlook the corruption and they look at the greatness because what we're looking at is what is a good person or who is a good person. And so those quotes are pretty dramatic. Power tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. He believed that if you were a decent person, if you got into any type of office or had any kind of power, it would slowly but surely corrupt you and make you into a bad person. And he says great men are almost always bad men. Now, take that for whatever you want. But he is approaching history and the beliefs of history and how we view history. But we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, and we've been examining the fruit of the Spirit. It's found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And I want to just read through that passage as we uh, talk about the fruit of goodness today. Let me read that passage to you. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, or that's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by Christ, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So today I, want to comp- I really want to try to accomplish two things. The first one is... I want to go back and review this whole idea of the concept of the fruit of the Spirit because there's a few things I want to talk about as far as the fruit of the Spirit. And then I want to talk about one specific fruit, and that is goodness. So let's do that. So as a believer, we will, and and I want to talk about just this whole idea, the general idea of the fruit of the Spirit because we've been talking about them, but I want to, Rehearse, re, uh, rehearse, uh, you know, just kind of review some of what we've talked about, about the fruit of the Spirit. Um, the fruit of the Spirit is something that every believer has because the Bible says that when we become followers of Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the gift of the Holy Spirit produces fruit, and that's the fruit of the Spirit. And we read that, that passage, we read those fruits. But the, one of the things that will be very apparent is that when you have the fruit of the Spirit, you will grow uh, slowly, not immediately. And that's true of Christian growth. Now think about this, because what that means is if you truly are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're truly a Christian, then you should be growing, you should be changing. You shouldn't be the same last year as you are now. Uh, you know, some people say, well, that's the way they are. They're all, you know, they were raised, you know, they, not for the believer. As a believer, you should be a different person. You should be growing. You should be developing. You shouldn't be the same person. You can't say, well, they'll never change. No, if you have the spirit of God within you, there should be change going on in your life. Your personality should change in the way you treat other people should change. Um, 
The other thing is you'll generally go through a season of growth. Growth isn't immediate. You usually go through a season of growth. Sometimes that growth comes when you go through trials and tribulations. You'll grow in those times. Um, now, the, the thing about a spiritual growth is it can't be seen. It can, it can only be measured. Now, many of you, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to just ask you in a minute. Uh, so, you have, if you have children, how many of you use like a doorway or something to measure their height when they were getting older? You put a mark on the doorway. Did you, any of I'm the only, oh yeah, okay, so you did. All right, so I'm not the only one. But what you would do is when they could stand up, you take a pencil, you mark their thing, and uh, you would be with them for a year and you wouldn't notice any growth, but then you say, Johnny, get against the door frame, let's do the pencil. You do the pencil, you say, whoa, Johnny, you grew this much, you know? And that's how you measured growth. You knew they were growing, but you couldn't see it on a day-to-day -day basis, but when you measured it, you could see it. And the same thing is similar with spiritual growth, that uh, you grow little by little. Interestingly enough, this is Father's Day, Happy Father's Day again. It's interesting to me. How many of you in the audience are fathers? Raise your hand. Okay, a lot of hands going up. How many grandfathers in the audience? Now, some of you, a lot of hands there. Now, interestingly enough, as a father, when I was first a father, nobody said, this is how you do it. Now, I watched other people, but I wasn't paying attention because I wasn't a father and I didn't really care. But when you have a child and you bring that child home because you're required to bring them home from the hospital, <laughs> you, have to dis you have to take care of that child. You have to protect that child. And it's like um, wrap them in bubble wrap and don't do anything wrong. And, and, and I don't remember those days, but I'm watching now. We, have our, 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 uh, we were visiting our grandchild who is four weeks old. And I was watching the new parents, my son and his, uh, his wife, taking care of this new little baby. And how they, they were so careful with everything and wondering, am I doing this right? Am I doing this right? And I go, I remember those days. I do remember those days. We used to have the binky rule that with the first one, you boil it and clean it and make it sure it's sterile. And the second child, you put it under hot water. And the third child, you put it in your mouth and stick it in the fourth child. <laughs> you just, just don't even care anymore. <laughs> That's not true. That's not true. And I apologize to my younger kids. Um, but the point I want you to see is this, that nobody immediately becomes a great father or knows what they're doing. They learn little by little from, from their mistakes and from learning from others. And after a while, little by little, you become seasoned. My oldest son, who called me this morning, wished me a happy Father's Day. He's got three kids. So he's like, he's, compared to his brothers, he's kind of ahead of them. You know, but he's not there yet. Because his kids aren't in the teens yet. <laughs> and that's a whole nother gear of fatherhood. Right? Right? So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> got a teen at home, yeah. But my point is, this is what we're talking about. You grow as a father. You don't immediately become a great father. You grow. You have that potential, but you have to learn. You have to grow. In the same way, you grow in your, your fruit, uh, in the spirit. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, your growth will be both external and internal. 
Now, if, if uh, there's a number of houses that are going up around here, and you see these houses, oh, you know, I was gone a week, and I'm going, wow, they made a lot of progress there. But what they generally will do is the truck will come from the lumber yard, and it will dump all of this lumber on the, the property, and they'll get the bulldozer, and they'll clear the land off, and they'll, they got to pour the foundation, and they, they get the lumber, and they get the, 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 the shingles and all that stuff. But you know what? All of those materials don't make a house. They can be sitting there in the yard uh, in the, on the property, but there's no house there until somebody comes and puts it all together. And you have to do it right. You have to put it together right. It takes time. It takes knowledge. It takes ability to do that. You can't, you, just because you have the materials, I have the lumber, I have the shingles, I have the siding, I have the, the, the electrical, I have the plumbing, I, I have the cement for the, that doesn't make a house. But here's what I want you to know. There are times where we look at people and we, we, see, we see certain fruits. They're kind. <clears throat> They're good. So we assume that because they have one or two of these fruits, they must be a follower of Jesus. They must love Jesus. And maybe they do and maybe they don't. It's interesting though. <clears throat> because I've done a number of funerals and people will say, Oh, they were such a good person. Now, what do they mean by that? Why, why do they say that at the person's funeral? Well, they say that because essentially what they're saying, and when they say it to me, they're saying, don't you think they're in heaven? I mean, after all, they were a good person, and good people go to heaven. We all know that, right? We're going to talk more about that in a minute. <clears throat> so, that's interesting to me. So, people who show signs of the fruit of the Spirit, but yet maybe don't know Jesus. Is that possible? Well, it certainly is possible because in, we go to the Gospel of Matthew at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, many will come to me on that day and they say, Lord, we did this good thing. 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 And Jesus said, I don't know you. I don't know you. So there's a difference between showing certain fruit and having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So we got to get this cleared up. We got to get this cleared up. Um, the third thing I want to say about spiritual growth is your growth is not limited to, it's not limited, but in, uh, integrated. Um, you don't just grow in peace or patience or joy or hope or kindness or goodness. They all come together. It's not the fruits, plural, of the Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit. It's all together. It all comes together. And so they go together. Goodness and faithfulness go together. Joy and self-control go together. If you're a good person, then you're also going to be a faithful person. If you're not a faithful person, you're not a good person, right? You can't really be say, I'm a good person, but be unfaithful. That doesn't work. And so a lot of these fruits go together. You know, you can't really have joy if you're not willing to humble yourself before God, right? Because what, what is, where does joy come from? Joy comes because no matter what the circumstances are, I'm trusting God. And some of you are lacking joy because you're trying to control things in your life. You're trying to take control of things in your life rather than letting go of things. 
And so you, you haven't experienced joy because you're trying to control. And when you give up your control over to God, you will find joy. So these go together. All right. So that's kind of what I want to say about the fruit of the Spirit, that there, there's a whole bunch of things that you think about, and it's, a, it's kind of a really dynamic thing. But I want to look at one specific fruit today, because that's what I've been assigned, the fruit of goodness. So I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, so who is or what is a good person? How would you delineate or how would you uh, ascribe somebody as being a good person? Uh, it's, it's interesting because in the scripture we have kind of this interesting idea of and, and we want to look at it. So Mark chapter 10, this is where we're going to spend the rest of our time. We've got about 10 minutes to spend here. Mark chapter 10, uh, it's on page 822. And if you don't have a Bible, we have the blue Bibles on page 822. You can find it. Now, let me just say this to you. If you're, uh, you know, in-house or you're watching, joining us online, let me just say this to you. If you don't know the Bible very well, don't assume that the person next to you is a Bible genius or an expert because they're probably not. Okay, we're all learning. And so you're in the right place if you don't even know where the Gospel of Mark is. Okay? Um, the, the other thing I want to say, and if you, listen, I was raised, I went to religious education most of my life. And then I became a follower of Jesus Christ. I kind of, it all, I figured it all out or he figured it all out for me. And I, I called upon the Lord and he came into my life and I began to go. And I went to a Bible study one time and I thought that John the Baptist and the Apostle John were the same person. Some of you are thinking he's not. No, he's not. There's a little tip for you. And I was made fun of by one person in that Bible study. They made fun of me. And I said, well, I don't really care because I got to learn this stuff and I'm going to learn and I'm going to figure it out. So if you're not there, if you haven't arrived, you don't know everything and this is all new to you, don't beat yourself up. Just say, today I'm going to learn something about the gospel of Mark and about the rich young ruler. And I'm going to take something home that's going to change my life. And just do that little by little. And the next thing you know, and in the next, you'll look back in a year and say, wow, man, I've really grown over the last year. That's how it happens, little by little. All right, so let's read the passage. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept. And since I was a boy, Jesus looked at him and loved him. You might want to underline it. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away very sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciple, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. Now, let me just say a little bit about prosperity in that day, okay? 
So in that day, if you are doing well, if you are prospering in wealth, you are a wealthy person, it was seen as God's blessing. So gen, the general population of that day, if you were doing well, and you weren't a, you know, like a tax collector, if you were doing well, if you were financially doing well, it would be seen as God's sign of blessing you. So they would look at this rich young man and say, he must be blessed of God because look at how God has blessed him. He must be a good man, okay? That's, that's what you need to see. Now, in the Old Testament, this was also true. You go to the book of Job. Job is a book of the Old Testament. It's about a man named Job, J-O-B, not Job, but Job. And there's an interesting thing that happens in the beginning of the book. In the beginning of the book, God says something about Job that it would be really cool if God ever said something like that about you or me. Like, can you imagine God saying, Matt, yes, Lord, I just want to tell you what I think of you. And he said something like this. This is what God says about Job. I just got bounced. Hang on. I'm getting there. Job 1. There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. That's pretty good, isn't it? There's no one like him on the earth. There's no one as good as Job. He doesn't say it once. He says it twice. Can you imagine God saying that about you? But he said it about Job. But here's the argument of the book of Job. See, they had the idea that Job, and Job was prospering. He had a lot of wealth. He had a big family. He was healthy. His, everything was going right for Job. But then everything went wrong. He lost his wealth. He lost his family. He lost his health. And his friends come to him, and they basically do the right thing. They just come and they commiserate with him for a day or two. They don't say anything. But then they start to feel like they ought to say something. You ever been in a situation where somebody's hurting and you feel like you should say something? You shouldn't, by the way, generally. And you say something, you go, oh, that was dumb. Well, here's what they said. They essentially said, because they believed that prosperity meant God's blessing, and if you lost it, you must have done something to tick God off. So they say, Job, listen. We know that God only blesses those who are righteous. Now, that's not true. We know that there are people who are cheaters who do really well financially and all that stuff, so that doesn't work. But the idea was, and they were saying, God blessed you, you know, when, if you don't have wealth now and your health is gone and your family died, that's because you did something. You sinned. You did something wrong. God is, but the book of Job doesn't teach that. In fact, at the end of the book of Job, God says to uh, the three, the friends that come to, to, to help Job, he says, you bring your offering to Job because you need to bring an offering. But, but here's the point. Here's what the book of Job says. The, 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 the argument of the book of Job is, though God favored Job, Job still suffered. 
and, and, and bad things happen to everyone. Evil has broken out in our world, but God still has a purpose. That's the message of the book of Job. The message of the book of Job is bad things happen to everyone. Evil has broken out in our world, but God still has a purpose. And it's not time just because you're suffering and going through a difficult time. You lost all your wealth. You lost your family. You lost your health. Doesn't necessarily mean that you've made God angry. Because after all, at the beginning of the book, and that's why it says it twice, I think. God says, there's no one on the earth like Job. He's the best person I can find. So, from all appearances, this young man looked blessed of God. Right? But he was wondering to himself, have I missed something? I mean, I've done this, 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 this. I've got this whole resume of righteousness. I've done all of this. He brings his resume of righteousness. I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. I've done this. Uh, is there anything else? Uh, is there a little thing? And Jesus says, well, now that you ask, there's one little thing you lack. One little thing you lack. It's not a big thing. After all, it's not a little, it's a, it's a huge thing. Jesus looked at the man's heart and he saw something. What did he see? He saw his love for money. His soul was tied to money. Money was his God. Money was his idol. Now, let me just say this. Money isn't evil. That's not the point of what this parable is about. The parable, Jesus isn't saying money is, the, is it. If you love money, uh, that, that's what everybody's going to struggle. No, that's not the point. Money itself isn't bad. But for this man, it had become his idol. It had become his everything. It had, it had become his life, his security, his identity. His, uh, it was everything. He was a good man, but uh, money. See, our human sin leads us to create idols like money. And, and, they, and they can be a lot of things. Like we can take things like family and career and... and um, we could take our health, sex, our status, our accomplishments, our hobbies, and, and, and those are all good things, but we can make them God things. We can make them like the most important thing. And when they become the most important thing in our life, now we have an idol. And that's what happened to this young man. This young man was a good man, but he had said money is the most important thing. So Jesus goes right to the heart of the issue. I want to just ask you a question right now as we just stop. And I'm going to talk to you folks. Join us online too. What is it in your life that you said, if, this, if I don't have this, my life is over? Your health? Family? What is it? Your career? What is it that if you didn't have it, your life is over? Uh, you'll know because when it gets challenged, when it gets threatened, you're going to have a lot of, you're going to struggle. You're immediately going to, you're going to say, what am I, what am I doing? What's my life all, your life's going to fall apart. The young man had quite a resume, right? He was living a good moral life. Generally, he was a good man. And people around him probably thought, yeah, I mean, this is, this is a good guy. He's a good guy. 
And if good men go to heaven, surely he must be at the front of the line. But Jesus, Jesus didn't see it that way. Jesus saw through his morality and his goodness and went right to the heart of the matter. That he had a deep-seated idol, and that idol was money. So Jesus, what does Jesus say? Well, it's interesting because he says, what are the two greatest commandments? He, you, know, he, you know, what are they? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, right? And then what's the second one? Love your neighbor as yourself. Those are the two commandments. And Jesus says, if you follow both of those commandments, you'll keep all the other ones. Because that kind of those are the big ones, right? And all the other ones can fall underneath there. So what does Jesus do? Jesus basically is telling the young man that he's violating both the first and the second commandment, those two commandments. He's violating the first one because he's not loving God with all his heart, mind, and soul. He's loving his money more than he's loving God. So what does he do? He says, all right, I want you to take that idol, that money, all that you have, and I want you to give it to your neighbor as yourself. Give it to your neighbor. Give it to the poor. And then you come follow me, and I will make you, I will give you riches that are beyond your wildest expectations, riches in different ways. Will you trust me? He says, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor. So the point is this, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you love your neighbor as yourself, then giving up your wealth to the poor should be easy, right? But what happened to him? He walked away sad. Whenever you walk away from Jesus, it will always be sadness. There will always be darkness. When Judas betrayed Jesus... John says, and it was night. He's not telling us the time of day. He's telling us that Judas was walking in spiritual darkness. You know, remember the story of the prodigal son? The one said, I want all that you, that's coming to me. And, and he walked away from his father. And he, he lived a life just of debauchery. It never says there that he was happy. And he became miserable. Jesus was asking the young man, who is number one in your life? Who or what? And I'll ask you, who or what is number one in your life right now? What is it that you're living your life for? As I said, when it's challenged, your life is going to fall apart. The, young, the good young man like us, uh, he needed the goodness of Jesus. And, and that's what Jesus comes to say to him. He's basically saying, you may be a good man and you may be a righteous man, but you're not good enough because what does he say? Only one person is good, and that's God, and you ain't God. When you compare yourselves to others, you're doing pretty well. When you compare yourself to God, you don't do well. And that's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, on a rescue mission of one. That's why Jesus gave his life so that we could live. That's why Jesus took our sins so that we could be forgiven. That's why we receive his righteousness because we're not righteous enough. That's why he gives us his goodness because we're not good enough. We all fall short. Paul says in Romans, we all fall short. We all fall short. Jesus didn't add anything to the young man's list. Instead, he completely replaced it. 
He went to the heart of the matter and he says, this, this whole thing, this, 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 uh, this uh, righteousness you have, it's all really performance art. Let's get rid of that. And let's get right to the heart of it. What we're talking about is a relationship with me. Do you want to be with me forever or do you want to live with money for now? The man walked away sad. But remember, and I want to close with these two thoughts. The first one is that the man walked away sad. And like I said, you will always walk away sad when you walk away from Jesus. When you turn your back on Jesus, you are always turning your back on purpose and meaning and joy and everything. And he is the only one who can bring true meaning, purpose, and goodness into your life. And I don't know where you're at right now, whether you turned your back on Jesus or you've never taken that first step. But I just want to tell you that the, the, the moment that you turn and the moment you give your life to Jesus is the day that you begin to live. Not just now, but forever. Is that the first day you'll find purpose and meaning and joy and hope. And all those things will come when you give your life and you give your heart to Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done it and you haven't found those things, that's why. No one is going to be good enough to get to heaven by being a good person. You can work on your resume from now until eternity. When you hand that resume to Jesus, it isn't going to work. No one is good enough. Here's the second thing I want you to take away. We'll close with this. I love the fact that Jesus loved the man even though he knew he was going to walk away. Some of you here, some of you joining us online, you think, I turned my back on Jesus. There's no hope for me. Maybe it's a dad. Maybe it's a grandfather. You're here or you're watching and you say, I turned my back. I, you don't know what I've done. And I will doesn't matter because he does and he died and he said it is finished it's enough his sacrifice was enough so whatever you've done when you think of the prodigal son remember he walked away from his dad but then he came to his senses and he turned and he made up this plan i'm going to come back to my father and i'm going to tell him you know i'm a sinner and all this other stuff and before he could even get on his father's land his father had his arms around him and welcomed him back I think it's different with us. I think that when we turn our back on Jesus and we repent and we turn back to him, we don't even have to walk. He's right there with us with open arms, ready to welcome us back. Jesus never stops loving you, even if you have walked away from him as long as you have breath. Here's the thing I want you to remember. When you turn your back on Jesus, you can always turn back to him. You can always turn back to him. As long as you have a breath, there's time to turn back to him. And it will be the best decision you ever make. Don't be like the young man who, by the world's consideration, was a good person, but was far from God. Instead, be the person that says, Jesus, whatever you want, whatever you need, I give you my life because you gave your life to me. And when you give your life to him, you begin a journey. And you don't know where it's going to, I mean, you know ultimately where it's going to lead, but you just don't know the paths you're going to go down with him. Just like when you have children, you don't know. 
But you begin, a, you begin a journey with Jesus that will change your life and the lives of the people around you, your family, your, work, your coworkers, your friends, will change your life and their life radically for different, forever. So I challenge you, wherever you're at today, goodness is an important thing, but knowing Jesus is more important than the most important. Being a good person doesn't come until you first know Jesus and have his Holy Spirit who helps you to show the fruit of goodness, kindness, and gentleness, and joy, and peace, and all the other fruits. Stand with me. Let's pray together. Father, help us because without your help, we can't do this. Help us to remember that Jesus was our goodness. He was our righteousness. He is our righteousness. He is our goodness. The only reason we could stand before you, Father, is because Jesus paid the price for us. He died so that we could live. He took our sins so that we could be forgiven. We have hope today because Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. If there's anyone here today, Father, who's wandering, who's turned their back on you, may today be the day that they turn around and come back. And thank you, Jesus, that you never stopped loving us. That's so incredibly encouraging to us that you never stop loving us, even when we turn our back. We're so grateful, so thankful. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.